right, like we do every week, we say that uh, understanding the Bible and your purpose in life doesn't have to be a mystery. So we invite you to take out your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 10. Uh, for If you don't have a Bible with you, we have Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. If you're watching on demand, you can, you can uh, pause it and, uh, and go get your Bible and then come back. In the Bibles in the seat rack in front of you, Mark, this passage is on page 1014, 1014, so you can turn to that. Um, we are looking through the NIV, so if you have a smartphone or tablet device, uh, that's the one that we're using so that you can match up with us. And today, <clears throat> we're talking about how service makes us whole, how serving makes us whole. And we're interrupting our regularly, regularly scheduled programming, which has been working through uh, Romans 5 through 8 as a series we're in. We're interrupting it today uh, because uh, fall is right around the corner. And if you've been around churches for a while, especially churches in the upper Midwest, summers are a little bit relaxed. And uh, a lot of things slow down uh, with regard to our church family uh, together. But in the fall, it's like uh, all hands on deck because everything starts up again in a big way. And so we're, we're trying to make sure that we are ready when fall comes. And so that's why we're looking at this today. Uh, we're looking at this whole idea of service making us whole. Um, so there's an area of church ministry that COVID has really impacted in a deep way, and I, every pastor that I talk to has the same challenge, and it's primarily the kids' ministry area. I mean, there are churches around us right now that still don't have uh, programming for kids, and when I talk to the pastors, they say it's because we don't have the volunteers that we need in order to pull off the program. Now, we've been having programming since uh, September of last year, so uh, for, for almost a year now. And, and we've done it by creating a very large group type of atmosphere for like the older kids and then the younger kids. And the reality is that that's, that's okay, but uh, it's, not, it's not okay over the long run. And so we, we need more, more hands on that deck in particular. And I, just, uh, I was sharing this with the elders recently, and one of the elders said, well, how come we haven't heard this? I said, you will. <laughs> it's coming up here pretty soon. So uh, one of the things about kids' uh, ministry and, you know, having all hands on deck, we, we partner as a church, as a church community. Church doesn't mean the institution. Church means us people, all of us. We partner with the parents among us to raise kids in such a way that they get launched out into the world to love God throughout their entire life and prioritize God's kingdom throughout their entire life. That's our goal in our children's ministry and our students' ministries is to launch those kids to a lifetime of growing closer and closer to God and serving His purposes uh, in the world. And so to do that well, we need to break down more into more appropriate age groups. And so to do that this fall, we need more people. We also are going to be focusing uh, on students in the next couple of weeks. And part of the reason that we're focusing on students, our students' ministry has really thrived under COVID, but our students... And students that are not here yet but uh, need to be reached out to have some pretty unique challenges and opportunities uh, right now in their life because of COVID. Challenges and, and opportunities. Uh, the goal is to double certain aspects, certain 
parts of that volunteer force with students, which has been really strong throughout uh, this last year. But uh, in certain areas, we want to strengthen it even more to meet those challenges and meet those opportunities. Uh, so in your, when you came in, you got this little brochure. And uh, should you, if, if you uh, are moved to do so, uh, you can put your name on there. And we've got three areas of ministry. This is different than the ones that we normally do. Normally, we list as many things as possible. Uh, this time, we're listing three kids and students. Um, are on there first, uh, kids and students. But listen, if you're already invested in ministering in some other area, we're not asking you to change, all right? It's not like we're desperate. Uh, number two, if you don't like working with kids, we do not want you to sign up for working with kids or with students, all right? This has to be something that God is moving you toward and something that, you know, there's a good matching of your interests what God has put on your heart, as well as the need and your gifting and all of that. Uh, connections we have on this card because it's a great entry point of ministry within our church. Some people, it is their, their ministry. I mean, it is what they should be doing week in and week out. It's, it's their baby. Uh, but for many, it can be a great, great first step into ministry. And then we've got other, and other can be used in two different ways. You can just check it, and that means I want to explore with someone. So we will actually have someone call and explore opportunities with you. Um, or maybe you know of another ministry that you've seen around here and you want to know more about it. Now, by filling this out and checking this, you are not signing up, all right? This is not signing up. This is a step, just a step in the process of discerning where God might have you serve. So um, that's what you can do, all right? So before we jump into today's passages, uh, and the sermon, we're going to pray for God to illuminate his word and to empower us uh, to do his word. And this prayer is based on 2 John, all right, 2 John. So please pray along with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege we have to gather together to worship you, to encourage one another, and to hear from your word. Through your Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us, strengthen us, renew us, and shape us by your truth, equip us, and empower us to walk in obedience with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so service makes us whole. Jesus teaches us this throughout his teaching in the Gospels. The whole Bible testifies to this whole idea. But knowing how it makes us whole is something that I want to get to today how it makes us whole. I think it's really important to, un to understand how. And I think uh, even for those of you who are like long-term veterans of hearing sermons, even on these passages or on this subject, I think there'll be a couple of surprises for you along the way because they were surprises for me as I was preparing. But I want to be clear about three things as I go into this sermon. One is serving alone doesn't make you whole, all right? Serving alone doesn't make you whole. Uh, there are a few irreducible elements to wholeness, the kind of wholeness that God is trying to recover in our lives and restore us to. Uh, serving is one of those irreducible elements, but it's not the only one. Wholeness, by wholeness, I'm talking about what we are meant to be, what God created us to be. I'm talking about things like fulfilling to be whole means that you are 
uh, fulfilling your destiny. You are complete. Um, you're finding fulfillment when the more that God recovers that wholeness in us, the more we find fulfillment. We find enduring happiness and just personal peace. It's about a genuine authenticity. It's about, it, it's about integrity, uh, mind, heart, actions, all fitting together, integrity in that sense. And then the last thing that I want to say before we jump in is we're not talking really in the sermon about vocation or volunteering. So the, the, the purpose of this sermon now, I mean, we've got this card and everything, but the purpose of the sermon now is not to get you to go vocationally into, I'm going to go to the Peace Corps, or I'm going to be a missionary, I'm going to be a pastor, or something like that. It's not even about volunteering. It's more about a posture. It's more about a mindset, actions that we bring into all of our interactions. Serving is something that we need to bring into every single context of our lives, all of our interactions in our homes, in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and even in our broader world. Okay, so how does serving make us whole? We're going to look at three different ways, three different passages, and we're going to turn to all the passages. So I'll give you some direction which way to go in your Bible for that. So there's a very familiar passage for many of you. It's from Mark chapter 10. It's Jesus uh, with his disciples. It's a little teaching he gives as a result of something that they do. It's very bold. It's very clear, but we're going to go a little deeper into it uh, today. So Beginning in verse 32 of Mark chapter 10, verse 32, uh, here's what it says. They were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. We're going to stop there for a moment because it's an interesting, I've read this story many times, I've never, I think I've just kind of glossed over that in my mind. They're on their way to Jerusalem, and it is because they're on their way to Jerusalem that the disciples are astonished, and that the rest of the followers, who are also called disciples throughout the Gospels, but in this case, when it says the disciples, it's talking about the 12 disciples. The other disciples are afraid. Uh, why would that be? Uh, the reason is, is because Jesus has told them, the 12, privately, He's told them that in Jerusalem, he is going to die. <laughs> He's going to be crucified. He is going to be flogged. That, that's what's awaiting him should he go in Jerusalem. And he is going to Jerusalem. But when he actually is heading to Jerusalem, basically looks at them and says, let's go to Jerusalem, they're astonished because he has said, this is not a good thing for me. Okay, something bad is going to happen. Now, it is a good thing. It's part of his plan. But in their minds, it doesn't make any sense uh, in their minds. Now, the rest are afraid. Uh, either they pick up the vibe. They know there are people out to get Jesus, especially the religious leaders in Jerusalem. They, they want him dead. They've been plotting to get rid of him. So that is part of it. Or they may have heard from the disciples. Yeah, you know, Jesus was telling us. And, and so they might. And so, but it is that journey to Jerusalem that has them so scared. So let's continue reading in verse 32 and read through verse 40, um, where it said, so again, he took the 12 aside and he told them what was going to happen to him. So this is again, he's telling them, we are going to Jerusalem, he said, and the son of man, referring to himself, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death 
and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Now, we know from the Gospels they have no idea what he's talking about. The idea of him dying as the Messiah King, there's no way that's going to happen. And the, the whole idea of him rising doesn't make any sense to them, but that's what he tells them. Then it says, two of the disciples, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us what we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus says. Can you drink from the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? He's talking about the suffering and death. We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Now, an interesting thing, a lot of commentators reading that suggest that what Jesus is referring to, the people who have been prepared to be on his right and his left, are the two thieves on the cross. Because that's part of his glory. His actual dying is part of his glory. And, and so, it just puts a, a little bit of a different, you know, ominous aspect to this. They're thinking, like, when you set up your rule, we are going to. Now, this is a knucklehead request. It is. The disciples, I, I don't say that from my perspective. The Gospel of Mark, more than all the other Gospels, so out of the four, the Gospel of Mark emphasizes what knuckleheads the twelve were how they do not understand. And Jesus is constantly saying, can't you understand anything? You know, what is the matter with you? This is a knucklehead request. Now, interestingly, this is John and James, or James and John. This is the James that in the early chapters of Acts is the first Christian martyr. And this is the John who wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. All right. So they, they're not knuckleheads for the rest of their lives, but this is a knucklehead request. And so Jesus uses this as an opportunity to teach them about leadership. And so let's continue in verse 41. When the, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, obviously, in what Jesus is saying, the most important thing he says is in verse 45. This is one of the times where he says, this is why I came. I came to actually die. I came for you. That is the purpose of this whole thing. This is why I came to earth. The rest of what he says in this section is on leadership. And the interesting thing is he's not knocking leadership. He's not saying, we, we will not have any leaders among us. We will all just kind of figure it out for ourselves. 
He's also not even knocking ambition to be great. It's one of the interesting things about this passage. You go, well, why didn't he say something about their, their desire to be great? He doesn't, even, he doesn't even criticize that. Instead, he redefines leadership. And he redefines greatness. And the redefinition means, for one thing, that followers of Christ don't lead to satisfy their own needs. They lead to serve others. Followers of Christ don't lead to satisfy, and I say they don't, they do, (laughs) we all do, Uh, but this is our calling. It's not to lead to satisfy our own needs, it's to lead to serve others. It's not saying, it's important, it's not saying all servants are leaders, that every time you're serving, it's leading. What it's saying is when you lead, you lead to serve. That's the purpose of leading. But I want to take it a little bit deeper here than, um, than uh, maybe I ever have in looking at this passage. Uh, we know that no one gets a pass on leadership. Now, I've said this probably, you know, 50 times in the last 24 years here. Um, we don't get a pass because every single one of us is called to lead in some context. It might be a context at work. It might be a context at, um, in church. Or it may be a situation that where there are situations where we are called to take up the mantle of leadership. There's no one here. I mean, even children are called to lead a younger child. I think only if you're a baby or a toddler are you given a pass on this. Um, but there's even more reason why every single one of us is called to lead. And that's because we're created to lead. We're created to lead. Part of our destiny is to be leaders. And um, I saw this in this passage for the first time because I accidentally worked on the next Roman sermon before doing this one because I hadn't realized, oh yeah, this one comes before the next Roman sermon. So I, that one's done actually, next week's is done. And when I was working on that, uh, it really got me back to something that we've talked about here before, we kind of went into several, several weeks ago, maybe a few months ago, we looked at it in some, some depth. And that is, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? You might remember that. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, when Moses, way back, who is given the revelation of Genesis and all, all that and the law and everything, he's telling the Israelites, you were made in the image of God, Genesis 1. When Moses says that, every king at that time was considered an image of God. Not the God, but of some God or the gods, all right? The first thought that would have come to their minds is, no, kings are God's image bearers. That's, that's every text that talks about image of God in from that time, it's the kings who are the image bearers. Image bearers are rulers. You might want to write that one down. I don't have that in your notes. But image bearers are rulers. Now, once you know this, you can't miss it in the text. So let's look at the text that says about image of God. All right, Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, this is at the creation, very beginning of the Bible, first chapter of the Bible. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. 
over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in His own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female, He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Once you understand that that is the context of that day, that when you say image of God, it means kings, rulers, and then you read this passage and you see it's sandwich. When it says image of God, it's sandwich, or the, the, the bread on the outside of the sandwich is rule, 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 where image bearers are rulers. The New Testament often speaks of our future destiny as Christians is to be rulers in the universe. That's our future destiny. I've listed several of the passages um, in your sermon application guide. It's one of the questions. I think it's question number four. And you can look at that. And it's not always direct. It's talking about being heirs of the king. What does that mean? <laughs> and you're like a son of the king. That means you're a ruler, you know, that kind of a thing. And other times it's pretty, pretty direct. Um, we are created to rule, and Jesus is explaining that ruling is always about serving others. Okay, so he doesn't, he says, this is what leadership looks like. Um, this is what we've been created for, is to lead, to steward the earth. God is the king, we are his vice-regents, we are his vice-kings, you know, we're under his leadership, stewarding the world for him. That's what we've been created for. So there's a corollary to this. No follower of Jesus can sit around expecting others to serve them. It's not our role as followers of Jesus to sit around waiting for someone to serve me, no matter who I am, no matter what your position is, no matter what your role is, no, no, no matter what, it's, it's not serve me. Certainly no Christian can take a posture of serve me when it comes to their church. Now the church does serve. We serve each other. We do serve each other. But we do so by equipping each other to serve. Which leads to the second point. So how does, how does serving make us, make us whole? Well, it's what we were created for. We're created to rule, and ruling is service. Jesus says, ruling is service. You're going to lead, you're going to serve. Second, we're gifted by God to serve. So turn to the right in your Bibles, about five books or so to Romans chapter 12. So Romans, some big books, so it's a, a lot to cover. Romans chapter 12. And um, there's a surprising connection. Again, it's going to be a passage that I think is familiar to most of you who have been in the Bible for a lot of years. Um, it's not all of you, but if you've been in the Bible for a lot of years, it's going to be a familiar passage. But there's a surprising connection that I was not aware of until I was doing a sermon a few weeks ago and then saw the connection. Um, looking forward in Romans 5 through 8, looking forward to Romans 12, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, how did I miss this all along? So the basics, um, some of the basics before I read the passage, uh, have to do with this gifting. So the basics are that when we become followers of Jesus, when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, 
what happens is, is that we also receive the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit comes and resides with us. And the Holy Spirit distributes gifts to our lives. All right? And those gifts are so that we can serve each other. They're gifts like, they're not talents, but kind of something like that, okay? They're giftings that empower us and equip us to serve each other. All right, so we're going to pick up in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 4, where he's, Paul says this, for, each, for just as each of us has one body with many members, hands, feet, and all of that, one body, and these members do not all have the same function, right? Your hand is different than your eyes and so on, all right? So just as that, so in Christ, there's that in Christ, we talked about this a few weeks ago. More often the Bible talks about us, about us being in Christ rather than Christ being in us, but it's both, all right? So in Christ we, though many, meaning the church, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So members, again, you know, like one's an eye and one's a hand and all of that. Now in 1 Corinthians he goes into detail with this analogy, but he doesn't do that here. Um, beginning in verse 6, or picking up verse 6. We have different gifts. These are these Holy Spirit-given gifts, according to the grace uh, given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, there's not a thing on here that every one of us is not called to do. But some people are especially gifted in each one of those things. That's, that's the difference. Some people are especially gifted. And they ought to, we ought to focus on those things that express our gifts. All right. So we form a body. We belong to each other. We are gifted to serve each other. But here's the interesting connection. Romans 12 begins a new and distinct section of Romans. So it'll be the fourth series that we do in Romans, starting in Romans 12.1. And um, here's what it says in Romans 12.1. You, you if you still have it open, you can look back there. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as, living sac as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper Worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Okay. Give your bodies as living sacrifices. The rest of the chapter describes what that looks like. The very first thing that looks like is serving with your spiritual gifts, the body of Christ. That's the first example. That's the context. It goes back to that passage, again, that maybe we're really familiar with, but we read these passages separately. No, if you want to know what does that look like, one of the things it looks like is that you have spiritual gifts and you use those spiritual gifts. All right. Um, I don't know. The next slide, unless you already did it. Yeah. Offer our bodies. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice means serve each other in the body of Christ. It's one of the things that it means. Others need me in the body of Christ. I don't care who you are. 
Others need you in this body. You need others. I don't care who you are. You need others in your walk of faith with God. Now, this is completely possible to do, to use your spiritual gifts without volunteering in the church. Uh, this is something that you can do just by being part of a small group and using your gifts to help the people that you meet with face-to-face. -face. This can happen on many weeks just by standing around long enough and talking to some people and ministering to them. Maybe, maybe you have a gift of intercession, and you're going to pray for them because you hear from, about their re request. Or maybe you're going to go to their home because you've got the gift of mercy, and you're going to go to their home because you hear of what they're going through, and you're going to bring meals. So this is, this is not a passage that's like, this is a passage about volunteering. No, this is lived out in so many ways. At the same time, any church that has a children's ministry, a student's ministry, a, a small group's ministry that uh, has music, and the music has to be played, sung, projected, words, all that kind of, any church that has any of those things can't function without volunteers. So that's one of the ways that we can apply this. Cannot function without volunteers. Okay, one more way that serving makes us whole. Our hearts and desires are formed by serving. Our hearts and desires are formed by serving. Okay, so the passage this time is going to work your way back. Back to Mark and then one more book. So Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. Okay, so when we talk about stewardship in the church, you've, you've, you've heard me say, and dozens of other people, hundreds of other people say this, thousands of other people say this, that we are to steward our talent, our time, and our treasure. Three categories. There are more. I remember reading one time, this guy had seven categories. And I looked at it and I said, yeah, actually, <laughs> that's a better list, but a lot harder to remember. Talent, time, and treasure. What the Bible says about stewarding your talent applies to your time and your treasure. What it says about stewarding your treasure applies to your time uh, and your talent. All right, so what we're going to read is Jesus teaching about stewarding our treasure. All right, so beginning in chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, uh, Jesus says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, when it's talking about treasure here and storing up in treasure from other passages where Jesus teaches about this, it clearly means giving. You're giving of your treasure to someone else. Um, and what Jesus says here, which you probably know if you've read this before, but you probably know that last thing that he says there, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the Bible teaches two things. It teaches we need to give from our heart. In fact, if we're not giving from our heart, it's like there... <laughs> It's like almost unacceptable to God. It's like he's not interested in you just giving out of obligation. He wants it from the heart. At the same time, the Bible teaches that our heart is shaped by our giving. And that's how it is with all spiritual disciplines. 
Um, so I recently heard a, um, and then what, what, what this says, uh, let's get the next slide up here before I skip it. When we, uh, let's go back one. Probably already had it up and I didn't see it. Yeah. Oh, I missed it. Okay. So spiritual disciplines, habits and practices form our hearts and our desires. I don't know if there's a slide on that. But spiritual disciplines, another way to talk about spiritual disciplines, spiritual habits or spiritual practice, they form our hearts and desires. We know that prayer forms our heart. We know that worship forms our heart. We know that giving worship serves our heart because Jesus said so. So does serving. It's a spiritual practice that shapes our hearts. Recently heard an interview with Tony Morgan, and he came. Uh, he was on this, he's being interviewed by someone, and, and he, he said this. He says, I've come to the realization, Tony Morgan's a church consultant, he says, I've come to the realization that whenever I recognize an area of my life that where I need to take steps to improve myself emotionally or spiritually, he says, I've come to the point where I realize that always happens by embracing new disciplines. When I come to the place where I see an area of growth, I've come to the point where I recognize that always means I need some new disciplines in our life. And I would just add, no, sometimes it means you need to return to some old disciplines that you've neglected. So here's my adaptation of what he said. When will we realize that the only way to grow emotionally and spiritually will require embracing new disciplines or returning to the disciplines we've been neglecting? When are we going to realize that? Spiritual disciplines which includes serving, form our heart, and they form our desires. So uh, a few weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, I mentioned a study by Lifeway, and it was actually Lifeway Kids, and on Saturday night, I, I checked my sources, and, and I misstated it on Saturday night, so if you were here, this is a correction. Um, the survey was of 2,000 uh, churchgoers in Protestant or non-denominational churches, who attend church at least once a month and have adult children 18 to 30. So adults who have children 18 to 30. And the research that was done by Lifeway Kids indicated that children who remain faithful, resilient in their faith as young adults, meaning their children are identify as Christians, they are sharing their faith with other people, uh, they, they are participating in a church, they're connected with other Christians, they're reading their Bible, things like that. They grew up in homes where certain practices were present, all right? So these are the top three. Number one, by far, Bible reading. So in the home, there was Bible reading, and the kid took on Bible reading at some point, somewhere along the line they recognized how it can shape their hearts and their lives, their minds, their perspective on life, all of that. The second one is prayer. And the third one was the only church-related one to make the top list, um, and that is service, specifically service in the church. And so that being the third uh, thing that led to, from this study of 2,000 people, that led to a resilient faith in those kids. So Trevin Wax, who has been for years, um, until recently, the vice president for Lifeway and their resident theologian, he said this with regard to it. He says, it wasn't just that parents took their kids to church 
where professional clergy could feed them spiritually, but that the children were included and integrated into the church through the avenue of service. The habit of serving others in the church and community likely formed these young adults in a way that kept them from identifying merely as church-going consumer, but instead as a contributor to the building up of God's people. Down the list a little, church mission trips show up, another indicator of the power of active service. Now, uh, today I was listening to a podcast, this uh, lady at the Fuller Youth Institute, and one of the things that she was saying uh, in, in, this, in this interview she was in, she said, we, when, when are we going to come to the realization that the youth in our church and the kids in our church are part of the, are the load, are load-bearing walls in our church? That's the, the image that she used. Not just, you know, kind of passing through, they are load-bearing walls. At Five Oaks, we would not be able to accomplish our ministries without all the kids and, and students that are involved. We just wouldn't. Because they, they, they help in so many ways. Uh, it's incredible. I mean, remember this summer, the high schoolers, team of about nine of them or so, helping pull off a fantastic middle school uh, camp. Um, and, uh, but it's, you just walk around the church, you'll be handed, you, there'll be ushers that are kids um, and youth. They'll be working in the Acorn Cafe. Uh, they'll be helping in the nursery. They'll be all over the place. Uh, and so they are a load-bearing wall in our church. But one of the points that he makes in this, he says, um, is about moving from consumer to contributor. And most of the time, moving from consumer to contributor requires showing up. I mean, it's one of the most obvious things I've ever said. <laughs> and yet it requires being said. It has to be a discipline. It has to be a habit. Showing up has to be a habit for the church to thrive. Um, and for right now, I mean, in COVID, yes, showing up may mean for some people only being able to participate online. No doubt about that. We've gone through a terrible, you know, year and a half. No doubt about that. But COVID aside, it requires showing up. It has to be a habit. And that may be one of the greatest challenges facing us as Christians coming out of COVID. To be really frank, and I'm including myself here, we've grown accustomed to having COVID as an excuse to do our own thing. And I'm not saying excuse like this. I'm saying excuse. It's been a real excuse. But we've come, become accustomed to it. I've shared before about a good friend of mine from college who I saw years later, and we were talking, and he told me a story. He was working at a church um, over the facility, and he used to be that church's youth pastor. And he lost his job. And when he lost his job, he said he moved out of town, he went to live in another city, he says the first week that he woke up on a Sunday and he didn't have to be at church, he thought, I get to be like everybody else. I'm going to see what this is like. I'm just going to stay home today. I don't have to be there. I'm just going to stay home. I'm going to do my own thing. The next week came, he said, and he did it again. He said, I get to do my own thing. I don't have to be there. I'm not on staff anymore. I've had to be there for years, every single week, except when I'm on vacation. I am, I am going to take another week off. And he took another week off doing his own thing. And he took another week after that, and he took another week, and then he said to me, this is what he said to me, he says, I became addicted 
to doing my own thing. His words. I became addicted to doing my own thing. Now, we don't have to volunteer in church to not do our own thing. Uh, in fact, the reality is most of our service is by going in with that posture into all of our relationships. That's the primary purpose of what we've been looking at. But filling out this little card and turning it in, um, I forgot to mention, same thing with your connection card, you turn it in one of the black boxes on the way out. Filling out this card might be for you, might be for you, the thing that breaks the addiction to doing your own thing. And it's worth it. It's worth it because serving makes us whole. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that we are your people and that we are the sheep of your pasture, that you have gathered us together. You are our chief shepherd and you love us. And you put up with our silliness so many times. We, we can say and do some really knucklehead things and just thank you, Father, for your grace. But we need you, we need you every single day, and we need your grace every single day. And we even need your grace to serve each other. We need to live in that grace, experience that grace, so that we can give of ourselves in a way that gives to others and fulfills our calling, our destiny, what we've been created for. Father, help us to grow in this in our lives. And thank you. Thank you for your empowering and your forgiveness for all the times that we focus on ourselves instead of on those that are around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.